Pe people love you in this country. I love they? them too. What, do you think they understand you? If they didn't understand, they would not love me. <laughs> they know I am pure magic. Pure magic, mirror magic, mirror, mirror science. Look at my boots. Everything I buy, I do it. I'm standing on my feet. Mirror on my boots. Man, I just love making music, man. I love this shit, dog. Like, so much. And when I was a kid, like, this is really all I wanted to do. <clears throat> and I worked so hard my whole life to just get little pieces here and there to where now it's like finally having all the pieces. Like, it would make no sense to not be doing this. It's like, I literally am the kid in the KB toy store after hours with the keys, you feel me? I play around with everything. Like, why would I waste my time, dog? Welcome back to Fresh Off the Spaceship. I'm Larry Mizell Jr., DJ, writer, your guide in this podcast. And I'm your co-host, Martin Douglas. We're going to be joined this week by KEXP's Dusty Henry, who you'll hear from later on. Dusty's the digital content manager here, and he's been working behind the scenes on this podcast the whole time. He's going to be in conversation with us as well as doing one of the interviews. Through each episode of the podcast, we're delving into the story of the Black Constellation. On the last episode... We dug into the story and work of Nicholas Galanin. If you haven't listened back to that or the previous episodes, do clear some space out and check those out. They provide valuable context into our next story. On this episode of Fresh Off the Spaceship, we're exploring the life and work of Otis Calvin III, also known as OC Notes. Pick up your There's a spirit of creative freedom that runs throughout all the constellation. A desire to not conform to trends, marketability, in favor of creating new sounds and pushing new boundaries. Why create a riff on what's already been done? OC Notes is exactly like that too. Only his ideas never seem to stop. He's one of the most, he is the most prolific musician that I know, like, I seen him making beats in his sleep before. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how, and I'm not even trying to be funny. He just never stops. And if there's a new tool for him to use to create, he will learn the ins and outs of that tool. And he will learn how to break that tool to make it his own. The Black Constellation, it's marked by diversity, eclecticism, and OC Notes is is like the poster child for that concept. And then it's no surprise that he's a key player in, in the collective. 
But I also think that everybody else, pretty much, like I think Blood and Ish, they're versatile musicians too.、Uh, maybe not quite as versatile as OC, but I don't know. I, I think that it's so rare to have that many people who are that ambidextrous. It's maybe no surprise that many of the constellation. Are in fact inspired by the one and only Dennis Rodman, who gained notoriety in the NBA as a championship player for both the Chicago Bulls and Detroit Pistons, and also for his renegade spirit. Rocking tats, rainbow hair dye, facial piercing, flashy dresses, even. The kind of dude who'll skip practice before the NBA Finals to go hit Diamond Dallas Page with a steel chair at a WCW event. Otis is like the Dennis Rodman in a collective of Dennis Rodmans. Brilliant, gifted, unmatched in his field, wildly unpredictable. He's a freak. I mean, you know, see, there are freaks and then like furreaks, you know, two syllables. And he's a furreak and he exudes furreakishness. I mean, like that otherworldliness, like, you know, there's like a mothership over here probably waiting for him. You feel that through Otis's music. His record will jump. Thumping deep house, the distorted, crunchy indie rock on a dime. Oh my God! This guy Otis Calvin the Third. He sure was prolific. <laughs> His catalog.、Oh. And I'm gonna make sure that my kids get every fucking cent of that money, and that no greedy motherfuckers or clown ass fake homies get a cent of my shit. You know what I'm saying? Because I've been out here grinding, dog. The term prolific can be overused, and in fact, is used mistakenly all the time. And it's gotten to the point of cliche, much like the word legend. Just like it seems like people will anoint anybody as legendary, any artist who creates, say, more than one work a year, is seen as prolific. O.C. Notes is a truly prolific artist. For a while, he was releasing a new album full length every month. In addition to being a hands-on collaborator in groups such as Knife Nights and Yatsin, Otis has released a staggering 90 projects on Bandcamp. According to Otis, that itself is only a fraction of the music he has put out. I got almost 300 records now, dog, of original music, bro, and that's just released. I got so much music, man. It's insane, and I own it all. Seattle-based music journalist Dave Siegel, who's written for publications like Pitchfork and The Wire, considers Otis to be a marvel of craftsmanship when it comes to music, and compares the startling quantity of his output to that of the frontman of indie rock workhorses guided by voices. I think of OC Notes as like the Bob Pollard of Black Constellation, <laughs> in, in in that he is prolific beyond belief. However, like for somebody who creates that much music, I don't think the quality really falls off anywhere. I, like no matter what style he's attempting, he's making great music, whether it be rock, hip hop, house, funk, soul. The level of quality remains high. I don't. I don't know how he does it. To be honest, I can't keep track of all of his. Artistic endeavors.、Uh, I think you would have to devote most of your 
life to keeping up with him. Like you go to his Bandcamp page and, you know, it's just, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. But you dip in anywhere and your mind is engaged and oftentimes blown away, you know? Making music all the time is what Otis feels he and most other working musicians should be doing. What the fuck am I doing not making music every day? Why don't I have I'd be dying how cats don't have more music, bro. I really do. It really bothers me. It's why I had to get off social media. I was talking too much shit. I just feel like people should have more music with the tools available. But it is what it is to each their own, though. Maybe they do, and I just don't know. Writer, curator, healer, Nagara Kadumu speaks to Otis's authenticity as an artist. You listen to Otis and you can tell that he has studied the masters. Whoever he, he for him, are like the gods, Otis has studied. And when you're listening to him, you're not listening to him copy because Otis doesn't copy. Otis is a true creator. Where he snatches this stuff down from, I don't know. That's not my business. Otis is a true creator and the brilliance really comes through with ease. And, you know, again, it's very much, I do this because this is, this is what I showed up here on this earth to do. I'm going to, you're going to hear me continue to say authenticity because that's just what it is. And for me, it's brilliant. And then also, you know, once I got to Seattle, seeing Otis in a live setting, was really something to behold because, you know, there was the Otis that would come dap you up. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? And then there's the Otis on stage. People can, listen, life is difficult and people go through their phases. What I will say is some of the most brilliant music that I have seen has been in Seattle and it has come from who we know to be OC Notes. And it has always been an authentic show. You can add any number of adjectives to that that you want to add to it, but it has always been authentic. And in a world where so much music and art is made for the market, not because there's an actual uh, feeling or energy that people are trying to convey, um, it's refreshing, but it also it's it really it's really generative. It really does something good for the soul. Have all these rules, you know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, dude, fuck every rule, dog. When it comes to any type of music creation, that shit is corny because the blues cats, bro, all knew like, yo, I'll take that dude's verse that was recorded. Anything that was recorded on any record was known back then like yo you could take what was recorded on this record and flip it and make it your own <laughs> like we ain't doing nothing different the music otis makes as oc notes is not beholden to any specific style sometimes he sails through different styles other times he blends them like a master chemist nobody who's listened to his music can deny the magnitude of his talent but Otis also contains a lack of false modesty that sometimes misconstrued as overconfidence. Dave Siegel speaks to both of those points. There's like a fluidity among genres that I found to be rare and a, a, almost like a nonchalant brilliance. Like no matter what style, it was just righteous. And 
there there was a real like a, a bravado about it, but sometimes that can be off putting, but I I found his bravado to be earned. Like he knows he's talented and he can he can come off maybe a, a little brash, but he earned the right to do that. For somebody who flits around from style to style, he could easily be a dilettante, but I think his musicianship is so strong that he makes work that endures, even though he he could be you know accused of just genre jumping. He he doesn't do it like for trendy reasons. I think he's just genuinely a omnivorous creative person. You know, nothing gets watered down. It's it's always OC's personality, a distinctive stamp on things. It never sounds like he's trying to, you know, capitalize on something that's popular at the moment. It seems like it's created out of a, a desire just to try out new, you know, flex new muscles. And again, I wonder why he's not bigger, you know? As a solo artist, it's kind of baffling. But then again, maybe he's too strange uh, and too all over the map to, for people to get a handle on him. So it's, it's, it's the public's song. fault, really. <laughs> <laughs> As it usually is. If you enjoy music enough to listen to a podcast series about it, you already know there's factors outside of musicianship that can prohibit an artist from becoming popular. For starters, there's a human tendency for most people to want to categorize and compartmentalize artists and music. But more tellingly, the nature of capitalism has ballooned the landscape of music into a multi-billion dollar commodity. And where there's industry, industry politics always follow. I think that most people who call themselves musicians or artists are they're actually just capitalists. <laughs> they don't even know it. They really don't. So you'll see a motherfucker, he can go and get a gajillion dollars and go get famous and be whatever, but the whole world might destroy this fool or just treat him like a joke. And then what, dog? Like, you, your you're, uh, you're sparkler fizzled out, dog. You could have been true to the game. You could have really been true to this. You could have really learned about music, respected the game, but now nah, you wanted to be a pop star. The music, though, lives forever. The music exists and you're making a record, so the record stands time through time. Otis speaks on the politics of the Seattle hip-hop scene, feeling as though there are self-serving tendencies in a lot of its artists, which ultimately limits its reach. Like, I wish Seattle was more like New York, and cats really supported each other for real in a certain type of way for the betterment of the city instead of this fake support and everybody trying to get their little one-off project off the ground so they can be this, like, oh, yeah, it's just me. I'm just out here. I'm the kid. Nah, bro. You're like, come on, man. Because at the end of the day, ain't nobody came out this city that actually had dope music and hip-hop, bro, on a massive level. I'm very comfortable saying that outside of Shabazz Palace. I'm talking about, like, massive, massive, bro. We could easily have as a... a, a like a LA type scenario out here, bro. Where we have easily identifiable heavyweights. You feel me? We got specs out here, dog. We got wisdom out here, dog. We got so many heavyweights out here, bro. Now I'm just talking about 
those are just two names bro i could go on and on and on and on dog we got kim at coleman out here dog you know what i'm saying like what are we even talking about right now the, we got wd-40 out here the level of talent that we have that people have no clue about and don't care about is hurtful hurtful bro that's why i went and got a real job <laughs> in his conversation with kexp's dusty henry otis gets to the crux of why the talent of seattle's rap scene for one far outstrips its recognition it's an interesting point you make that a lot of people don't recognize the amount of talent happening in Seattle, specifically like in the realm of hip hop. Yeah, I blame it on capitalism. You know what I mean? Like many things, just the disease of this weird idea of, I don't know, getting money in whatever way. It's just ridiculous. It just makes everyone so competitive that it's damn near impossible to, not impossible, it's just tough to work with cats or for, to find real cats out there, man, that's really, and even from a, not even from a creative perspective, but even from a consumer's perspective, the idea of what people even respect these days is like, a lot of people don't even want to listen to shit unless it's like, uh, they don't even seek it out unless it's a certain, reached a certain level of light, certain level of, you gotta have oh you have you gotta have a bunch of likes and shit, you know what I'm saying? Like oh people it's just weird, dog. It's just like come on man. We're in a golden age of music. There's so much good music out there, it's insane. It's so crazy and no one knows about it because I don't even know. What I'm doing actually isn't special at all. It's just that the music industry doesn't pay attention to music. The first night I met OC, there was some show at Nectar. I went and I went in the back, kind of go in the back of the club into this alley. And there was this like kind of shed that was kind of the green room. And I remember sitting back there with a bunch of fools. I think Grinch might have been back there, Greaves. And there was this cool brother named Otis I just met. And uh, he was smoking a blunt, started talking about music and stuff. Seemed hella cool, really knew his stuff. Really chill, you know what I mean? And he was like, all right, I'm going to go check the show. I'll, I'll see you in a minute. I was like, all right, bet. I'll see you in there. Chill for a minute. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go check the show a few minutes later. And I walk in, and this guy who was um, seemed so, like, very chill was on stage screaming at the group that was on stage. He grabbed their mic. I believe it was Mad Rad, or at least an early iteration of it. I think it was billed as just Terry Radjaw at the time. But uh, he was giving them the business on stage. And uh, I just remember being like, wow, what happened to the dude I just met? There's also this aspect of Otis that, like, you definitely hear it in his records, but like uh, like punk, like punk rock. Absolutely. Like, that is... Obviously, I think punk is still around, but we have this sort of Machine Gun Kelly, like, oh like yeah. bastion of like <laughs> punk rock, but like cleaned up, safe, monetized. Yeah. And Otis is just 
in his soul he is he has that punk rock spirit and like whether he's got a guitar or an npc or whatever like he's not afraid to say something that's gonna piss you off or rub you the wrong way or defy your expectations you know it's confrontational the way good art can be Mm -hmm. um so sometimes living that i would think you could end up in a lot of confrontation you know that's what Mm -hmm. it is and he's so purely moved when it comes to his inspiration i think that he is uh just as purely moved by the spirit within of emotion, frustration, of anger, of joy. I've seen all of that, you know? So he's not fake. He never holds back. Yeah, I talk a lot about um, punk rock in the religious sense, and I do feel as though Otis exemplifies that. Like you said, Larry, it's confrontational, it's challenging, it's raw, it's... You know, these are all things that the punk rock spirit is supposed to be. These are the things punk rock was before it became commodified, like every other (laughs) genre of art ever created. Otis is definitely a punk motherfucker. Otis is very punk in his approach to creating and releasing music. Punk isn't just a genre, leather jacket, liberty spikes, but a spirit, a way of doing things. One that gives a middle finger to conformity and barriers. It's maybe no surprise that Otis does actually have roots in punk music, dating back to his teenage years in Puyallup, Washington. Man, my guys, Joey, Brandon, and John, bro. And I'll throw Wes in there too, bro. For life, man. Like, those four cats, bro. In Puyallup, like, yo, we used to just kick it, bro. We used to just smoke weed and listen to Deftones and Corn and <laughs> No Effects and fucking. And uh, uh, I remember when Slipknot first came out, we was on that. That rock shit, the whole punk rock shit, saved my life, bro. I used to be walking around uh, Ferrucci Junior High School with, with the, uh, you know, fingers poked through the sleeve holes, and uh, you know what I'm saying, just looking real goofy when I think about it now. But <laughs> skateboarding, you know what I'm saying, picking cigarette butts off the ground and smoking them and shit, just trying to be this rock and roll guy, man. Otis and his Motley crew started playing music together, covering their new metal idols. Yeah, we did Limp Bizkit Faith, actually, <laughs> for the talent show one year, bro. Yeah. 
He also took inspiration from another pivotal Northwest band, one whom he'd find a connection to later in the story. The song is called Smells Like Teen Spirit. We used to play Hell and Nirvana too, bro. Like we were obsessed. We used to rent, that was back when Blockbuster and shit existed. So we would go and get the rock VHS tapes and stay up all night at like the homie's dad's house, just like watching these videos and stuff and then go in the garage and just play, play, in our, play our shitty little cover versions of it. Punk wasn't a phase for Otis. The music, the ethos, the fuck you attitude, still very much a part of how he creates and carries himself. To this day, I'm a punk rock motherfucker, bro. Bad brains and shit. Ah, oh, man, I love it because it's, it's the realest shit. It's like hip hop on some other shit, you know what I mean? You can feel it in Otis's work to a degree, but especially in his two 808 punk albums. On those records, Otis would take the distorted, frantic guitars and place them against booming electronic beats, wailing over top with his own voice. Short, blitzing songs in the vein of Bad Brains and Black Flag. Eight oh eight punk two, I feel as though is like the high water mark of at least my favorite, my personal favorite OC album. Like I think Otis just takes the concept of eight oh eight punk and like mutates it into like this juggernaut. I I listen to it and I think about how there are only a few albums that really take the guttural nature of punk with drum machines. Like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like drum machines and punk music because it doesn't give you that punch. But like albums like Suicide's first record yeah. or Negro that came out two years after this yeah. and 808 Punk 2 are like basically the only records that I can think of that really creates that guttural, visceral feeling of punk rock music with drum machines. I like a lot of like punk that use the uh, drum machines, you know, Japanther stuff like that. I went to a lot of their shows, and I can, uh, I don't know, Death Set stuff like that. But OC, OC is punk in a way that those cats can't always necessarily access. He's dealing with a level of alienation societally that he's drawing on heavily, 
that can't be touched by Williamsburg or, or <laughs> you know, <laughs> communal housing and, you know, any, not, not trying to cut, like, those those cats down or anything, but I'm just saying, man, like, that guy's really punk rock, and when he really wants to tap into it, it's untouchable. Yeah, exactly. And he has this, um, he can't get away from that melody, man. No, like, he's Otis, a, yeah, yeah. Otis fucking loves the melody, and it it brings you into his records. That sense of humor that he has too. Like, there's a song on 808 Punk Two. I think it's called um, "Buddy Holly's Son," hmm. and it's just it's just such an infectious track, and it captures that spirit. It's like it's kind of like pop punk without like the slickness. Yeah. When I think of like pop punk when i think of punk music that is just dripping with melody buddy holly son comes to mind immediately Even that title points to a love of melody and brevity. Like Buddy Holly would make these cold-blooded songs, like incredible pop songs that were 158. You mm-hmm. know what I yeah. mean? He'd be in and out. I was just able to execute in any kind of arena on a high level. He shifts gears in ways I don't. Like we, we see a lot more artists now who like get a lot of props for switching genres and track to track, like Namdi or Bertiz, and they, yeah. they're they're excellent. But yeah. OC does it in a it's hard to describe in a way that's just so visceral. No matter which way he goes, like if he's gonna make a deep house track, it's gonna be like the most wild deep house track you've ever yeah. heard. If he's gonna go punk rock, it's gonna be the most wild punk rock rock track you've ever heard. Right, like, that is. Super impressive. And like you're both saying, like, he never loses the song. Like, there's always mm-hmm. a song in it. And, like, it's easy to just make noise on your computer or, like, with a guitar. But, like, there's always something that hooks you in. And that's, like, another level of craft that I don't know you who can compete with that. Yeah, absolutely. It comes from his spirit. It's not something that he copies. Like sometimes you can hear when artists is copying. Otis references, but he never traces his inspiration. Like it comes from inside of him. It's always going to be his version of whatever he's referencing. He definitely expresses himself in one of the purest fashions I've ever known an artist to do. There's been so many times, whether he's DJing, playing a guitar, producing, where I just see this look of just this rapturous look on his face, pure joy. And he's as surprised as anybody about what's happening. And I just feel like he's he's gotten out of the way and he's purely a conduit for inspiration.
like many people who were born into military families, Otis lived in a handful of places as a child, eventually settling in Puyallup after his parents got divorced. I was born in Tucson, Arizona, and then my father got stationed in Germany, and I moved to uh, this little spot called Bad Kissingen, Germany, and lived there for about four and a half years. And then we moved to Oklahoma, and then we moved to Fort Lewis, Washington, and uh, then my parents split up when I was in fourth grade. My father got stationed all over the place. And my mom stayed in Pierce County because she dug the school district and whatnot, I guess. And uh, so we lived in Puyallup, Washington for some time. And I lived all over. The, I mean, I lived a long time in Puyallup, but I um, bounced around a lot. Bounced around a lot. The military family lifestyle exposed Otis to a variety of different experiences, which likely played a big hand in his omnivorous musical tastes. It gave me a very open mind at an early age and a lot of exposure to a lot of things that people don't get exposure to. So yeah, just I am just a product of my environments and I was just special to have a, a lot of diverse ones. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone that music has always been a foundation component of O.C.'s life. I mean, I've always been musical. My mom, she worked in a record store when she was in high school, like all four years or whatever. And, and uh, I think her sister did too, my auntie. And um, there's always music around, real good music and records. And um, I always was into music. Even like in Germany, I remember, I think I had recorder lessons one time, you know what I'm saying? Just, I've always messed with, with the music. and. Um, but church also, we always went to church. And then my father became a preacher at St. John's Baptist Church when I was really young. There we became a part of the choir, me and my sister. I started playing drums, just really learning about music. Yeah, that's really where the foundation of the funk came from for sure. Just like gospel, blues, R&B, soul, the music program at the St. John's Baptist Church during the Pastor Bowles years was absolutely mind-blowing when I was involved in a lot of the choirs at an early early age I was really involved in church we was I was a junior deacon I was in a drill team like I lived at church for a minute you know what I mean and so um yeah church was what it was is what it is but it, the biggest thing I think I got from church was that was the funk and, and and seeing what people want to call the spirit of God or whatever like seeing what that actually is Visually. While practically living in the church, Otis would meet a young Stasia Irons, aka Stas the Boss. Hi, Otis. Call me, bro. We have some things to talk about, but you know, I still got love for you, man. You already know. It's whatever. Hey. Twisted cat, back, lesbian, sing soprano. Smoking avocado, puffing on rocky wasabi. Teriyaki sashi, Bella baby posse. She get it from her top. Bet pictures wanna pop me. We went to the same church, um, St. John. His mother was um, the drill team uh, leader, and I was in the drill team for a little bit. He used to play the piano with my dad for for the church choirs. Well, you know, church is pretty boring for the most part. <laughs> and, you know, black church is hella long. And when you're in the choir stand and you're really young, you get restless and you just be out there watching. You're up there above everybody and you can see people be bored or whatever, but... 
as soon as that music starts popping, man, you know, people start jumping around, screaming, having, you know, they, they really get affected. Anytime there's an offering or a ties or something like that going down, they start playing some keys, some organs, some, some tunes. It's just like the most effective part of church to me has always been the music. And so that's what I would call the spirit. You know what I mean? Though he sees music as a spiritual practice, Otis no longer subscribes to the organized religion of Christianity. I mean, it's all very spiritual. I think Christianity is very white. I don't subscribe to these white male patriarchal things no more. So I, I don't really dig it. The way I do music is 100% spiritual because at this point, I don't do things like for a reason of like wanting to get something, I do it when I feel it. And so I know that if I'm moving off of a feeling, it's something that isn't technically coming from me. I'm moving with the vibration. I'm moving with, with, with um, other forces that influence me to do this thing. In the late 2000s, a legendary venue in Seattle was getting a new life, transforming from a key part of Seattle rock history to a launching pad for Seattle hip-hop, a new movement where Otis literally found himself on the ground floor. We'll get to that story after a short break. Uh, when you were operating your studio out of the, the OK Hotel here in mm-hmm. Seattle, I mean, it's crazy you mentioned, like, covering Nirvana. I mean, you were in the same building that Nirvana debuted. Come on, bro. My life is crazy, dog. It's not regular, bro. Like, everything I've ever thought or dreamed about has I've somehow touched it dog like I always talk about six degrees of Kevin Bacon shit like that's my life bro like it's weird to where I don't I don't take it for granted no more you know I mean I literally lived in that studio for (laughs) years dog like slept on the floor you feel me it's basically living in my studio dog that's been actually most of my life has been me living in my studio Ghost of the OK Hotel and I, bro, we're friends, dog. Trust that, man. Like, there's high-level energies all up in them hallways. Pick a floor, dog. Like, mad shit goes down. The lab next to one of our labs, I promise you, was haunted, dog. The OK Hotel was originally built in 1910, functioning as a hotel for decades in Seattle's Pioneer Square neighborhood. In the 80s, it became a bar and venue that launched the careers of bands like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Mother Love Bone, basically every other Seattle band you've heard about from the 90s. The venue closed in 2001 after the Nisqually earthquake, but reopened as rent-controlled living and studio spaces for artists in 2004. Local hip-hop producer Audios began operating his Studio 206 Hop sweatshop out of the OK Hotel. My homie Audios, man, he, had, uh, he was living at the OK Hotel, and he had the studio space down there. And I went there, and I was like, holy shit. And I think I asked if I could go down half on the spot because it was dumb cheap. He was like, hell yeah. 
And that's how it just, that's how it started. And at one point we had two studio spaces down there. And uh, it was cool, bro. It was cool. That's how I met Vitamin D. That's how I met a bunch of people. It's all just the way it was supposed to be. You might recognize Vitamin's name as one of KEXP's DJs on rotation for Street Sounds. Vitamin has been an integral part of Seattle's hip hop scene for decades. He's one of the city's very best in every category. Otis and Vitamin ended up sharing studio space in the basement of the OK Hotel. Man, I don't know if you know if I ever told him this shit, but just like, I would look forward to that shit, bro. I would like wait. He were, he put in mad work too. He was always in his lab, you know what I'm saying? But I was always down in my lab, so I would wait to hear when he was down there and wait until I would hear where there was like maybe not a lot of people to like go knock on his door and be like, yo, I got this rolled up. On a chance that maybe I'll hear some beats, you feel me? Or like, Here's some new shit no one's heard, you know what I mean? And he was always welcoming, dog. I learned a lot from him. The music Otis and Vitamin were cooking up in the basement was too good to stay subterranean. It wasn't long before the OK Hotel studio became the destination for up-and-coming rappers and producers about town. Yeah, we were down there like shit, two, three, four years before any of them cats came down there, bro. Doing wild shit, dog. Like, we really were the gods of that shit for a minute, bro. It was very beautiful. And then Vitamin came in and the whole game changed. Like when Vitamin came in, then that's when everybody started coming in. Cause he's like, he's the guy of hip hop in Seattle. So like off top, everybody's gonna, you know what I mean, down there. And once Cash got a ring of how cheap the rent was, it was a wrap. <laughs> As Otis and Vitamin tinkered away, like mad scientists in their studios, more and more local artists came flocking around. Gabriel Teodros, Blue Scholars, the physics had a space. Physics came in. It was hella funny too, cause you know our lab was janky as fuck, bro. We had the real ill hip hop shit, bro. It was super duper janky, dog. Like we were working with what we had, man. These cats moved in. They had some real nice shit. It was dope, bro. Like it was just free education, bro. Fellow Steli and Knife Knight's bandmate Eric Blood remembers coming through Otis's space. He had a spot there that I went to a few times. And we would fuck around, like, just try and lay down some some ideas for music, which we did. Like, some of the some of it never saw the light of day. Like, we ended up never do, using any of it. But it was cool. I remember being in the studio with him and being just, like, struck by how free he was. He, he was... It's the only word to describe it. He was just free. He wasn't hindered... Uh, by anything when he wanted to express an idea and he would just I you know he would see me kind of like hemming and hawing about shit or you know trying to figure things out or you know plan shit and at one point he turned to me and said they're just ideas blood like just we're just getting ideas out and that kind of stuck with me I took that as a bit of advice and I find myself saying it to myself every time I'm writing just uh, these are just ideas and I'm just getting them out. 
Otis stayed at the OK Hotel for years, but after having his first kid, continuing to live in the space was becoming less of an option. But his time at the historic space did give him his first introduction to the Black Constellation when he linked up with Dissatisfaction to record a song called Icing. Gotta be creative on my team Practice peace and personal hygiene Blazing trees until my eyes need visine Two-stepping, all those other nice things We like icy Cooling water on your cold lemonade Say, we laced up like we on your wedding cake hey, Black diamond rhyming, shining with the lightning We like icy, we like icy Icing like a food network, cake challenge slicing The competition in half, nigga, cause my team We be sending them home, be so frightening And hater, hater, you won't, I'm inviting Cause I'm doing just fine, I'm just Christing I said I'm doing just fine, I'm just Christing Like I just left church, nigga, I'm trying Not to, not to be a jerk, I'm inspiring Yeah, we made icing at the OK Hotel That's when I met Dissatisfaction First time I heard them, man, I thought that was the illest shit I ever heard. I was bugging. And I seen them live, I was like, wowzers. Like, their live shit when I first, I was like, this is crazy. Huge fan. But like, whatever. And then we made icing, you know what I'm saying? And that shit was fire. You know, we did we did a lot, a lot of stuff. We had a little BPA or whatever, but it was through them that I met Ish. And everybody, honestly, like, I mean, honestly, like, bro, I used to be out here trying to be everywhere, man. And shout out to my man Biz. Shout out to, to A-Son. You know what I mean? Even shout out to Gabe, bro. Gabe was the first person to ever show me love in Seattle, dog, on some rap shit. As we've alluded to throughout this series, the connections formed within the Black Constellation were being made long before any notions of collective identity were established. For instance, the friendship between Otis and Nicholas Galanin can be traced back to Nick's days curating and running a home skillet fest in Sitka, Alaska. Yeah, early days, home skillet, you know. I uh, came across Otis's music, some classics, and I was just like, what is this? I loved everything that I was hearing. I was like, damn. And then, you know, got, got Otis up to the fest. We just started collaborating here and there on like, you know, I was asking probably, like, I got Silver Jack cut, you want, you want to do something on this or whatever? And then it just like went from there. Yeah. He extended the invite that first time to everybody. Like, and he always did like, come up anytime, come up anytime to Alaska. And I took that, sh- took full advantage of that shit. For real. Definitely was like, man, can I come up? Can I come up? From that very first invitation to Sitka, Otis and Nick forged a close friendship and musical bond with Otis taking regular trips to Alaska to work on music. To this day, Otis and Nick are still close friends. Though the two of them have worked together in groups like Indian Agent and Yatsin, they have a relationship that exists completely outside of music. Man, I love Otis. I'm grateful to call him collaborator. Friend, brother. Uh, he's not just a musician, he's a performer. He's a connector through his work and ideas. 
you know, I would say comes from another world, but he's also Muskogee, and so we know he comes from here. Yeah, Nicky G, man, that's my bro, man. I love him so much. He's such a fucking crazy dude, bro. Like, it's hard to even describe. I'm really lucky, man. Like, you know, I don't really talk to a lot of cats, bro. I'll be real with you, bro, at all. But I talk to Ish regularly. I talk to Nicky regularly. You know what I'm saying? And that's beautiful. Like, that, that's just a natural thing. And so I feel lucky that, like, I have a close relationship with somebody. And he puts up with my shit, bro. Like, I'm an emotional dude, bro. I'll be flashing. I'll be having opinions. And not a lot of people can deal with it, bro. But Nikki G somehow can and always has, like, mad wisdom to lace me with. And it's helpful. And the things we could do together, like, musically, our understanding is dope to where, like, anything we do together is going to be fire. Even after his profile grew in the Seattle music scene, even after working with the satisfaction, Otis couldn't shake the feeling that he was underappreciated in the community. That is, until he met Ishmael Butler. OC Notes, man, that's my brother, bro. You know, always making music, always making beats, always practicing, always looking at some YouTube video of some musical style or something and then mastering it, guitar, piano, drums, like so many musical ideas that just keep coming. He, what did he ask me to do? It might've been the eating cake vocals or something. Um, there's a bunch of us on there just going, eat eating cake, eat eating cake. <laughs> I was hella nervous, bro. But I think that might've been the first time I, I, I might've done something for him, but um, I know that he had me DJing for him a bunch. That was real cool. Like they would have, they were starting to have me like open up their shows, DJing and stuff. And I got to open up for them a, a handful of times. And that was fire every time. Lost inside a whirlwind. Syndicates of girlfriends. One night lay back in one's red She said, my boo, shall I push back the world? Still during that time, a lot of cats didn't really show me love. Even when I was rolling with Stars and Cat. But Ish, bro, first time I met this cat, he showed me authentic, mad respect and love, bro. And it literally fucked my whole head up for a very, very, very long time. Because I literally used to roll around in junior high school with those same homies smoking weed, listening to Diggable Planets and shit. And here is the dude from Diggable Planets treating me like an equal. And all these fucking nobodies have shit on me over and over and over again. And they're on his nuts. You feel me? And the first time I met this dude, he treated me like this. Bong, dog. Changed me as a whole person, dog. I've been a shitty person throughout my life a lot of times. It's been a lot of struggle, dog. But I will say, uh, man, Ish has been one of the best teachers ever, dog. He's one of the realest cats I've ever met. Just a funny cat, man, and, and very in tuned and, and sensitive to the things that's going on socially, economically, musically, in the social economics of music. Like so passionate that he's he's just can't stand by idly while he sees what he considers injustices playing out, you know? 
So being around him is is cool, man. It's intense. It's funny. It's it's emotional, you know. And uh, that's that's the brother, man. You know, OC knows. I call him the drip god, uh, drip god Ock. Because when we was in, I think Sweden one time, they didn't know his name was OC. They thought it was just Ock, so they was calling him Ock Notes, Ock Notes. So I call him the drip god Ock. Heavy cat, man. Eric Blood recalls meeting Otis for the first time while working with DSAT, engaging in the time-honored tradition of trading their music with each other. So I met Otis through Stas and Cat when we were recording on Natural. And he came to the studio to record drums on Bitch on the Side. Uh, session was cool. It was cool hanging out with Otis. Um, d- like, we didn't really talk a ton at that time, but uh, we talked enough. And I remember... I can't remember how this went down, if, it, if we just like swapped Bandcamp addresses or something. But I had touchscreens out at the time, so I gave him touchscreens, and he was just putting out Secret Society. I went home and listened to Secret Society like a thousand times. I remember like going over to friends' houses and putting it on every time I had the opportunity to like take over the sound system. That record just... I thought it was so perfect, like this perfect encapsulation of sounds and ideas. And then it had this awesome album cover of these two little kids. <laughs> uh, one of them, I'm assuming, is Otis. And loved it. Like, loved, loved everything about it. Blood's on everything, man. Blood touches everything. Just about. Like, now, as far as my projects, I've gone... I've, I've gone, I've done so much that he hasn't touched as much now. But way back then, I was just like, yo, I felt obligated almost to try and like any project that I really wanted, like Alien Booty Bass, Color Wheel. I'd be like, yo, Blood, can you can you fuck with this or fuck with that? Certain songs. And he would um, he would touch them up for me. And they always sound a gajillion times better than what I could do myself. You know what I mean? But it got to a point to where my rate of making music was just too much to be able to to try and like, trying to holler at somebody all the time. Blood's respect for Otis's talent runs deep, to the point that he surprised Otis by covering one of his songs on stage. One of the greatest moments of my entire life, ever of all time, was Blood surprised me at a, he, has, he had a show at Numo's, and his whole, his whole band up there, you know, he had a whole band, and they played um, my song Nowhere off of Secret Society, and I didn't know he was going to do that. And it was... Just crazy. It was like one of the coolest things ever, man. I was crying like a baby. Otis, Blood, and Ishmael extended to the full length from Knife Nights, originally conceived as the production duo of Ish and Blood, which eventually turned into a full band, including the talents of Otis 
and singer Marquita Miller. For years, dog, we've always been talking about, particularly me, Ish and Blood, about wanting to play form a, like have a band, man. Cause um, everybody plays instruments. You know what I'm saying? We want to really rock out. You feel me? Yeah. And then it just happened, man. <laughs> like it's just. Send some tracks. I don't remember what tracks they were. Just like, yeah, just like, ooh, you know what I'm saying? We just did our thing, like, added, we all added our sauce. And the next thing we had a record, and it was fire, man. And then we did that tour, and it was so much fun. Oh my God, so much fun. We got to do another one. That is another tour I would, I would do in a heartbeat. Just ish on guitar and key and machines you know what i'm saying i got to rock the fuck out hella every single night you know marquita just with the golden vocals up there just looking like the lady from dr buzzard's original savannah band just like having the audience mesmerized Woo! <laughs> everybody was super excited because you don't catch no ish and so they think oh here comes it's ish it's gonna you know they will play it's bad so they don't know what they're gonna see but they think some sort of hip-hop shit you feel me <laughs> And then we hit them with the knife nights, and they're just like, whoa. And then we hit them with light up ahead, and they're just like, oh, what? <laughs> knife nights is a project very dear to my heart. That tour, I'd gone on the road with Shabazz a bunch, been on the road with DSAT. Going on the road with knife nights was a totally different animal to a degree. Um, just because dynamically, it's a totally different project. It's like it's a rock band. It's a badass rock band, and even even the session they did at KXP, that that was like a starting point. That record was a starting point. They extrapolated the shit out of that on the road and turned it into something else. Became a real unit, and the 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 fire that was in that engine is Otis. And when they would do Drag Race Legend. That got taken over the top by what OC would do on guitar and his ad-libs. He would be like, then he'd be like up on it and it would be this metallic echoing thing (laughs) and be screaming. Oh my God. It just took it to a whole other fucking zone. And I was just like riveted. Like my rock soul was totally like gripped and... You see Ish tap into a different thing because of this energy. Mm-hmm. Marquita and Blood. Oh my God. And I've been begging them, like, if there needs to be another Knife Nights record, but there needs to be a live Knife Nights record because that shit is something the world needs to know about. I'm a pilot to the moon. Smoking dope and cut school. I hit my stepdad with an axe. Doing donuts on the ass. Selling funk out the speakers. Selling dope to my teachers. At Billy Parker's party. Wearing shades at the sporting I'm a drag race man. It's like the chance to be a little like junior high school, high school, me back in the rock and roll bands, bro. Getting to just scream as loud as I can and jump around and play distorted guitar. It's like, 
I, I love that so much, dog. So fun. Otis was given the chance to fulfill another childhood rock star fantasy in 2019 when Sub Pop Records tapped him for the revival of their beloved Sub Pop Singles Club. Otis contributed a distorted, anthemic single titled Better Days. Sub Pop head of A&R, Tony Kewell, explained why Otis was the perfect fit for reintroducing the label's single subscription service. As the inaugural track for the rebirth of the Singles Club. That's right. We were really excited about. We, I mean, I don't know if we ever really talked to, to OC about that, but it, uh, you know, internally at Sub Pop, for us, it was really important that it was a, a Seattle artist that we were all excited about and that that's where we would begin again with the Singles Club. We obviously, you know, or maybe not obviously, but originally started with Nirvana. Mm. And not to put any pressure on OC or anything. Sure. <laughs> but it was meant to be, you know, that's where our heads were at when we decided to ask him to do that single. I dare say that song, Better Days, like, I think he was kind of correctly interpreting all the gravitas of that, of, of putting out a single via the Singles Club and, and what that means. Because to me, that was kind of a song, knowing him and his taste, like, he's, he's, he's bouncing off of that legacy and reflecting it and the energy was very much in there and that's that's the one of my very favorite OC notes song. Otis's music is not confined to any one genre, in case you didn't get the hint. But there's no denying his love for house music. sunk its claws into Otis in his youth. A friend turned him on to artists like Moody Man, Daft Punk, Paul Johnson, Basement Jacks. And then I got deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And then I found my own lane of what I like, you know what I'm saying? And when I discovered that it's black music, I was like, oh my God. Then I tried to find every black artist I could and realized I couldn't because there's too many, you know what I'm saying? And it's still like that. It's beautiful. Rap and house are both pillars of modern black music. 
But for a long time, House has been victim to the engine of erasure, co-opted by white producers, contorted into Coachella-ready EDM. But the genre's black roots are really important. Otis is in a lineage of artists like Moody Man, Frankie Knuckles, Honey Dijon, Todd Terry, countless other innovators. Then I finally decided one day to try it myself because at that time, it was a real guarded type, I would say, genre, man. There's a lot of white folks trying to tell cats how things work and how they're supposed to sound, and I believe that. And then when I stopped believing that, I made Dap Confuser with my brother Ricky, man. And that shit is a classic. Otis references Rick Rude, his partner in crime in the group Metal Chocolates, his friend who raps on half of OC's album Dab Confuser. Dab Confuser isn't Otis's only foray into house music, but it's some of his best. With Rick by his side, he brings punk attitude to break down the walls, bringing house and rap back together. And it's funny because now, a lot of rappers are starting to dabble in this house music, and there was a time when I was trying to get rappers to get with house music, and Ricky was the only one that did it. The only one. And no one, man, Cass used to say this and that. And so now I laugh, but I'm happy because I'm like, yo, maybe this means that we're gonna see these cats on the dance floor, which is a win for everybody, right? You know what I'm saying? Because, man, rappers are fresh, dog. I want to see cats dancing at, like, 125 beats per minute, dog. There's some, like, Roy Davis Jr. and shit, dog. You know what I'm saying? Some Carrie Chandler, dog. Just, like, ah, just dancing in some, like, Timberlands. Yeah. And, like, a bunch of chains. You know what I'm saying? Just, like, yeah, dog, let's get that. <laughs> <laughs> Join up. Yeah. We've been having a good time over here, man in the church of house, man. House music isn't something Otis dabbles in. It's a full-on love affair. Always been in love with it, man. And always, like, just try to do, like, my version of, while still respecting the math and science of, like, the way things sound um, or are constructed in a certain way, if that makes sense. And that's what Dab Confuser was, at least, I could say. Because I've also done wild shit that deconstructs the whole math and science to me, but, like, as far as that confusion was, that was my first real dive into it, man. And to this day, bro, like songs like Listener's Block are just classics to me, man. Like Ricky just killed that record, man. All the songs, Sensuality, bro. Like I can't even, I can't even listen to that song to this day without getting all like teary-eyed and emotional, bro. It's just like Ricky, like what well, cast don't understand, bro. Like. Dab Confuser, Metal Chocolates, like, there's certain records, dog, they're, even, they're hard to even listen to because we was really about this shit, dog. Everything we did was, went into these records, man. From Cat Daddies to Mac Daddies, no trick chipping, sugar daddy, Known for breaking hearts, but she playing with an ace. All his playing cards in place. Sensual from face to waist, so I lay serve with real gang. Last year, niggas, this is Nouveau Pippin. Otis's catalog is massive, freewheeling. The difference between records like 
Daft Confuser, 808 Punk is vast. But if you had to pick one record as an entry point to scratch the surface of his many styles, you gotta talk about 2015's Color Wheel, released on Nicholas Galanin's Home Skillet Records. Everything is everything, you know what I'm saying? Everything is colors, bro. Like, everything is... The color wheel is just the spectrum of everything. There's every color on this wheel. Every color represents something. Just, it could represent whatever, dog. People, feelings, whatever. But it's all right there in this wheel of colors, you know what I'm saying? Every genre is represented all. There is no one thing. And that's what I wanted to do with the sound. That's why there's everything on that record. There's hip-hop, there's rock. There's house. There's everything. There's weird shit you can't even, you know what I mean? And, um, fire record, bro. It's a classic. Sleeper classic. Sold out quickly. I don't even have any copies. Isn't that crazy? One of the standout tracks on Color Wheel is Unfinished Business. On streaming platforms, the song lists a feature from The Black Constellation. It's about as close to a BC Posse track as you might find, featuring Ish, Stasty Boss, Tandai on percussion, and Eric Blood behind the boards. How can you afford to feed yourself when you're too busy feeding someone else? That shit is fire, yeah, man. Got Tendai in the back, bro, killing it on the motherfucking um, Bira. Stas on there, Ish marks it. Ooh. Baby girl, she traps in her feelings and she hates thrift shopping, hates it. Oh, that's, ooh, yes. I haven't listened to that in a while. That is a slap. Stoss is just butter on that track. Oh my God. Baby girl, she draped in her feelings and she hates thrift shopping, hates them Argilla. Woman of fashion, she kill him, she crash him, she body, she bagging. Now that she having the thrill of the millions and drag it, not having Make her never wanna go back. Nigga wanna snake and zigzag him Whatever it takes to keep grabbing and clutching and scrapping and shucking and tapping and cooking and jacking and booking and trapping Her glasses, her eyes where my last is She's got to have it, just be young Nah, stay fast asleep Hey, blasting heat, mashing cheap Shit, nigga, gas to eat By eat, I do mean splash, blast to sleep Keep deep, bitch, drink, dash, flash your links Snow boom, I'm a consumer No, we listen to it, huh? Shining some precision when I'm climbing out the sewer yeah. Probably do me, so I might as well do you. Hey. Cooking wings in August, got to do it by the cooler. Never got an end, so I'm plotting like a ruler. Yeah. School will fool you sooner, so I spoon it by the lunar. To me, every nigga's just a number like a tuna. Stay sneaking too, so we crawling like a puma. It's a feeling, bro. And then just the outro. It's like a whole, <sighs> the rain, and just like the, ugh. Yeah, we pulled it off on that one. That was beautiful. In May of 2018, KEXP hired OC Notes to helm their new show, Sunday Soul. 
his run on Sunday Soul, which was one of the coolest radio shows I ever heard. Like these really put together and and polished events, really. Like they felt like events. And the music, you know, selections were unparalleled, but just the way that it flowed and the way that he was a character of, you know, amongst this, it's it's just amazing. Like that's the kind of shit that people didn't, I don't think people really knew that that could happen. Sunday Soul, KXP, we got a lot of amazing music. I, I dug deep this week for you cats, man. You know what it is. Here we go. I can hear the storm And I can feel the rain When I moved and left Seattle and was in Arizona and I heard, one, I heard that Gabriel got hired. I was like, this is amazing. And then they hired Otis. And it made me so freaking happy because he's such an amazing DJ. And, and let me go further. Otis is possibly the most amazing DJ I've ever seen, like barring no one. He's incredible. And I've seen him do incredible stuff with crowds that are packed and rapturous and with crowds that aren't even there in a room. He's not tripping on it. You know what I mean? And... What he did uh, creating Sunday Soul and the way he contextualized so much music in a soulful dimension and pointed back to the root and always spoke the truth. It was absolutely some of the illest radio I've ever heard. And when I would listen to it every Sunday and hit him up constantly, it was absolutely a lifesaver, a lifeline back to Seattle, back to my folks, back to this station that um, it crazily inspired me. And I was just like, man, I, I got to do something. Maybe I need to start this podcast. I, every Sunday, <laughs> I, I would finish cooking, listening to his stuff, and just be like, man, I got to get busy. Something, something, something. This is crazy. So I have him to thank for a lot of inspiration over the years. A lot of other stuff, too, but <laughs> a lot of inspiration. Sunday Soul was absolutely a new level and uncharted territory as far as quality genre radio absolutely and he upended ideas around genre because that's like one that's part of his mission statement always has been uh that was like explicitly part of this record he did one of my favorite of his uh when i was working with him uh alien booty bass he was inventing a new genre, but it was also a deconstruction of all genre yeah. and a refutation of genre. And what he would do on Sunday Soul so often, he would play soul music of whatever era, but he would play rock and funk and just like whatever you can imagine. But he contextualized it in a way that made you understand this is soul music and soul is not a genre. Soul is a feeling. Soul is a, a, a mode of expression. It's an attack. And... Uh, that's powerful work. When I think of Otis as a DJ, like he is the DJ I want to hear like during the apocalypse. Absolutely. Like 
I imagine like Mad Max, like water is now a commodity that we don't have anymore. And like somewhere on this like pirate radio station playing the craziest like house music is Otis just giving like his point of view on everything, talking about like, I don't know, whatever. And you're just riding around in like a Humvee and like you just hear this like, I don't know. It's just this... There's this this feeling that he evokes, like you said, he's always he speaks his mind on the air. He's yeah. whatever theories he's got going on, and just is able to pull out like the craziest track you've like never heard. Ever. Right? It's just it, it's inspiring. Like he he has this like creative fountain that we were talking about, but then in, and then it's infectious. It makes you want to go create and like push boundaries. Yeah, go deeper. He's very much. You talk about like. Radio at the end of the apocalypse. He's very much like, um, what's your boy, Christian Slater, pump up the volume, that guy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like Rebel Radio. He's, he's Radio Nat Turner, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I talked to KEXP's beloved DJ Riz, who, if I'm not mistaken, has been on the air longer than anybody else here, all about OC. What did you think when, when OC got hired at KEXP? Oh, I thought perfect. It was like better than a dream come true. You know, I've always had a fondness for well, OC and his skills are just unparalleled. He's a giant, an absolute giant. And so I thought perfect, you know, this is the roster. Get him in the roster. Because he's been in the building a few times, you know. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. But I never thought he'd be on the air. So that was, it was more than a dream come true. Can I also tell you one of my favorite moments with him on the radio was yes. his Ennio, Ennio Morricone tribute show. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone. There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me I mean, he pulled it off, did the thing and pulled it off. I think he's one of those people that exudes surprises. But if he thinks you're surprised, he'd be like, so what was you thinking? You know, I told you I do the damn thing. Right. (laughs) How you surprised? I said I do the damn thing. What did you think of him on the air in general? Uh, I was, frankly, I was kind of frightened of him on the air because, <laughs> you know, we have these boundaries. And I could also tell that boundaries would be a challenge, you know, for him because he's best unboundless. You know, that's when he mm. just shines. And he shines within a boundary, but, you know, Boundaries kind of bring, you know, they they kind of tarnish the luster. OC Notes left KEXP in September of 2020. The world-renowned Seattle DJ Supreme LaRock, ultimate crate digger, now runs Sunday Soul every Sunday, and it's a beautiful affair you have to listen to. And OC Notes is as prolific as ever. If you subscribe to his Patreon, you'll see he's doing his own thing as always, releasing exclusive mixes, new music, radio shows, all that stuff. I mean, now it's just mad fun, man. I just really just love knowing that anything I think of, I just, boop, go do it. And I don't have any genre boundaries, so it's like, just everything is just whatever. And then, you know, other people will say I have, it sounds like something me or, or not, but 
like I said, people actually really don't know because you just got to put it out under another name and they just will never know. I just kind of am just doing whatever I want, man. You know what I'm saying? Next time on Fresh Off the Spaceship, we look at the work of Eric Blood. Defining your process is basically just enforcing parameters or enforcing boundaries. The true creative process, if any, is learn everything you can and use it at your disposal. Like, just do do any and everything until you like what you have. This episode of Fresh Off the Spaceship was written, produced, and edited by Martin Douglas, Janice Headley, Dusty Henry, Isabel Khalili, and myself, Larry Mizell Jr. Audio was produced and mastered by Julian Martlew, with additional audio editing by Janice Headley. we got to thank Gabriel Teodros for his many valuable contributions to this episode. Big shout out to Sub Pop and all the members of the Black Constellation for giving us permission to include their music. And lastly, we'd like to thank our volunteers, Elena Clark, Natalie Vin for their work transcribing interviews. And we want to thank you, the listener. My name is Isabel Kelly. I'm one of the folks who's been working on this podcast, and I'm here to remind you that KEXP is listener funded. That means that the freedom we have to pursue projects like this podcast comes completely from the support of our community. And if you're here with us now, you're part of that community. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard so far and want to support the show, you can go to kexp.org slash fresh. A one-time gift of $35 can make a huge difference. Or if you prefer to show your support in a different way, it would mean a lot to us if you shared this podcast with someone you think might enjoy it. And of course, leaving a rating, a review really helps other people find the podcast. So... Thanks again, and hope you can join us on the next episode to learn more about the artists of the Black Constellation.